Hey folks, Scholar and Dropout back. Yes, it's not a mistake, believe it or not. This is two consecutive podcasts, back to back, week to week, after a two-year hiatus. I am back with registered dietitian Christopher Barrett. Would you like to say hi? Hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) And the focus of the discussion today which will be somewhat brief, is recovery. And we were actually um, thinking about starting off at how our conversation ended last time. I asked Chris the question of, um, you know, one of his ideas was, is it that you, is it possible to um, always be able to recover well if you're eating enough or resting enough? And I, you know, proposed the question as a, of a, like a competitive CrossFit athlete because I've seen the programming, <clears throat> I've lived it, um, but you had more thoughts on it, Chris. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking about it after we spoke about it last week, and I think overall I'm just, it's, it's hard for me. I think the, the hardest thing for me was understanding, like, is the programming good, right? Or is the programming effective, right? Or is the person under-recovering, right? Because most people, I, I think the biggest misconception is, like, I have to work out. That's right, you need a stimulus. But, like, all the adaptations occur when you're recovering and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Or I'll give you an uh, example, right? There's, let's say somebody starts <laughs> to lose, let's say, like, in one month they're down, like, four pounds, that's not good. And they start to say, oh, I'm, I'm not enjoying training. Mm-hmm. I'm getting these little like niggles here and there, like little aches and pains. That's showing me you're definitely under fueling, mm-hmm. right? Consistently. Because that's the whole idea when we were talking about reds last week. But when you under recover consistently, that's when the major issues happen. Hmm. So like, let's say somebody... If we control for moving like... Yeah, but let's say somebody's at work and they're, they got a crazy patient load. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is they, they miss lunch. And they do that one day. That's not bad in the sense of reds, right? Because potentially they can make it up throughout the rest of the day. But it's bad when it happens consistently. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you another example too. If you don't eat 300 calories per day, let's say an athlete just under eats 300 calories. Okay. So either intentionally or unintentionally. So they are, let's say, eating instead of 2,700. So basically, in, in like a simple way, is they're basically not having three tablespoons of peanut butter, right, per day. If they don't do that for the entire month, right, say you're in a 300-calorie deficit, right, so 300 times 30 days in a month, let's say it's just a 30-day month, that's 9,000 calories you're in a deficit of. Mm-hmm. Let's say you do that for a whole competitive season. So let's say for six months. They're in a deficit of 54,000 calories. So if we were to think about that, right, that's almost the equivalent of like not eating for a whole month. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean about like the consistency of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Consistency matters. Same thing with recovery. So I think it totally depends on what the person's doing in the sense of like underfueling and recovery. Because I think a lot of people, including myself, when I used to train, 
used to pound, 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 and just be like, up, oh, head down, keep training. You'll get there, right? But then what I didn't realize was I should recover more. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to work out. Remember I gave you the story last week about, like, working out every day even Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Take a day I off. love working out on Christmas Eve. I don't <laughs> understand what the problem is. <laughs> um, just so for, for um, people listening, as a reminder, REDS is Relative Energy... Uh, deficiency syndrome. Yep. Okay. Um, those are those are good points. It's just really hard to know. I think it's it's really hard. It's very hard to know because I feel like it's so individualized. I think um, one of the things that may be helpful for like the people who listen, yeah, is like how do they identify it themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like, and what to do when you're in that situation, right? Right. So let's go to the idea about somebody who's getting like those aches and pains. Maybe that'd be helpful. Like somebody's getting those aches and pains. They're starting to not sort of really enjoy training. Maybe they're down like four or five pounds in a month. Right. Um, Their strength gains have sort of plateaued. Right. Like, okay, what is like the roadmap for them? Mm -hmm. What do you think? What would be like the first thing you do? So I would I would ask them questions. So before I go to questions about a person's psychology I ask right. them about health behaviors are you so what are you what are your what's your goal mm-hmm. right is your goal to I don't know clean and jerk 315 is your right. goal to run a 5k really really fast you know um, 5k really fast that's like 18 minutes that's not but yeah, you, I would say like if we're talking like elite, you'll be in like the thirteens. No. But if you're talking, talking like about, an average age grouper, probably closer to like seventeen, sixteens. That's probably like an above average. Run. But health behaviors I ask yeah. about are: um, Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Um, or what's your appetite like? Um, and what do you do? You like do you like do do you like exercising? Right. Right. And those are those are all determinants uh, data points as to help how i can help figure out if a person could be overtraining right um am i answering your question yeah i think so but i think like the first step like am i if i'm working with somebody like that is i have that athlete contact their coach Mm -hmm. contact their coach and say hey excuse me like this training plan this is how i feel right now right Right. This is this is these are the symptoms I'm feeling. Should I be feeling this way? Right. Uh, that's an excellent point, and I that's something I absolutely encourage is more open dialogue between athletes and coaches. I think it's. I don't know. I think sometimes coaches can be a little um, defensive about mm-hmm. how athletes approach their programming because they spend so much time and effort, hopefully, you know, uh, right. working on it. Yeah. Um, and this is also this idea of, well, it's go- of course it's going to be hard. Yeah. You know, um, and other factors like, um, I've, I was recently reading some research on um, coaching Generation Z athletes and a lot of coaches' perception of Generation Z athletes, which I think is a little technically younger than us, yep. um, is that they don't know how to handle adversity. Right, so that that they that they buckle under adversity. Yeah, whether or not that's true, that's what a lot of coaches are thinking. Right, and so 
that can be a barrier as well. Uh, yeah. But to your point, I think it's really important for athletes to understand is you have to open up dialogue. Right. right? You have to talk more about uh, what's going on. I mean, other things now that are really helpful is smart devices. Like so many people wear like whoops and stuff like that mm-hmm. if you can afford it. Those will give you clear indicators based on um, heart rate variability and other factors to let you know, hey, should I train today? Um, for people who don't have that, you, you have to develop, I guess what we're talking about is intuition. Can I give them a low sort of like a low entry point for checking like sure. their training status? Look at your resting heart rate in the morning. Right. Right. And of course, if your alarm goes off, don't test it right then. Right, give yourself, <laughs> yourself like five or ten minutes to sort of test it. Some watches do that, but again, the accuracy may be a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and just keep a log of that. Mm-hmm. What you'll notice, and I've noticed, is when you get sick, your heart rate goes up, mm-hmm. right? And then also, if you're overtraining, it goes up. Right. And what you'll notice is it probably correlates with those feelings that you're having. Mm-hmm. A big one for me is is I just feel my immune system like yeah. uh, tanking. Like yeah. I just feel it. Just feel it happening. Oh yeah, um, and I think it's, it's it's extremely subjective, right? Yeah. What I mean by that is how you feel when you wake up. If you're feeling sluggish, run down, fatigued, fatigued, that's not a good sign, mm-hmm. right? That's not a really good sign that like your training is actually working. And especially in the gym, if you see numbers that aren't going up, mm-hmm. or times aren't decreasing, or things like that, that's a big like red flag for me, for an athlete. That's interesting. In, in, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, off the podcast, but I've said before, if I used, if certain demographics use fatigue as an indicator, they will never train. For sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, from, you know, people who are parents or, or people who are like physicians where yeah. they're, they're not, they're just always on the go. Um, so that doesn't, that doesn't mean you always put that information of fatigue on the back burner it's just you approach it in a nuanced way and it's interesting i think for those people right and i'm this is going to be extremely general but for those people who are fatigued i think going to the gym less often Mm -hmm. is probably better and sort of emphasizing recovery more right i think that would be a good thing uh but just making sure when you go to the gym you're actually working out versus like not putting in sort of a an intensity to get to whatever goal you want. Yes. I would say for, for myself, that has been a game changer. The, just working out less. And then when you're in there, you, you get to work. Yeah. That's been huge. Oh, I agree. So let me ask you this. Recovery, yeah. right? And sort of sleep hygiene, things mm-hmm. like that. Yep. You have a younger child. How do you sort of emphasize that and still sort of try and pursue your fitness goals? I will... That's a good question. So I, again, I try to be much more flexible in Mm -hmm. how I approach my training lifestyle. Right. Three years ago, if I didn't sleep, I didn't... There wasn't any question. (laughs) I was getting up at four. Yeah. And I was going to the gym to get in my, my, my training. Yeah. Now, you know, if, if I know that I'm stressed, 
I I slept poorly the the night before, the other night before, right. or if my sleep is heavily disrupted, yeah, I won't go. Like yeah. just just being flexible about it. And are you also asking about like developing uh, like adaptive bedtime routines? Or, yeah, a little or, bit of that too. Another piece of it is like set your bed for me setting my bedtime much earlier right so as soon as my daughter goes to bed i'm i'm getting ready for bed yeah um i'm not um i'm not putzing around you know on my phone or you know uh what would be another example just giving yourself permission Mm -hmm. to rest now Right? There's right. All, the laundry list of things that need to get done will always be there. Right? Sleep, the more we learn about sleep, the more important it gets. Yeah. Right? And so giving yourself permission to, I don't know, buy lunch tomorrow instead of, you know, make, making lunch or right. uh, something like that to, to help yourself get, get adequate sleep. Um, Oh, no, I agree, 100%. Yeah, I think it's, and it it goes back to the idea, the aspect of training, too. There are days when you wake up and you just don't feel like training. Yeah. That's sort of a, it's an anomaly, right? It rarely happens, but when you do get that symptom, like, listen and say, okay, I got to take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's a big thing. What gets, so, you know, this is a leading question, but what gets in the way of that? What gets in the way of listening to listening to that that symptom you called it um well if you're in like a competitive environment so um like you're training against people so it could be in a race could be um your competitors essentially they're working i'm not Mm -hmm. right like they're somebody else is working now when i'm not working and now i'm getting x steps back like a few steps back Mm -hmm. right from where they are Mm -hmm. but again if you look at like the the idea of like rest recovery after the stimulus, it's what they call like super compensation. So once you drop down a little bit, essentially what happens is you are at a, a lower fitness level. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is it comes back up as you rest and recover. But if you never do, potentially that's why people are seeing these like reduction in performances. And when we talk about people, we're, we're excluding professional athletes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so hopefully they're recovering already. Right, yeah. But so this isn't part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, so if I hear you right, you're saying that the mindset of I got to get in today and outwork everybody is a could be an indicator of like a still like a young training age. For sure. Know, mentally. And see, I think that's it's funny you use that term. I think when you're at a young training age you can get away, get away with it more. Right. Right? Because I, I don't know about you, but I did. Like, I pushed, like you did. Woke up at 4 a.m., I heard yeah. you say. Yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not missing today. Nope. So I think you can get away with it because you're so young. Yes. Right? Um, but, yeah, that's a major thing. But as, as I've noticed as I get older, it's more important for me to listen to those things and recover more. Yep. Going back to sleep, I, you know, I tell people this, that, Healthy sleep hygiene begins with developing a bedtime routine. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but for the people who are listening who have kids, ask yourself, does your child have a bedtime routine? It's usually, yes. (laughs) We have dinner. We take a bath. We read a book. 
we have a snack or whatever, and then it's time for bed. We as adults need to do the same, right? A lot of times people who come in and look for um, help with sleep, they'll say, you know, oh, yeah, I, I just kind of lay down and can't fall asleep. Well, what did you do an, an hour before that? Right. You ha- we have to think about sending like a meta message to our nervous system of time to relax now, time to relax now, and you can do that a variety of ways, you know. If you know showers help, take a shower. If you know having a cup of tea helps, have a cup of tea. Read your book. Whatever, right? Do 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 a active coping skill versus watching television. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. What you know? We only have a couple minutes left, Chris. But yeah. what about like? This is a hard question to answer in just a couple of minutes, but yeah. diet and recovery, mm-hmm. right? You were, before the podcast, you were saying how, or even during it, like how <laughs> a lot of people who are trying to make all these really f- cool adaptations are, are under eating. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think, so one of the things that we were sort of talking about is when you do have those rest days or recovery days, Right it's important to consume enough calories on those days too, even though you're not exercising okay. to sort of preface what you're going to be doing the next day. Okay. That helps with recovery. What? A, okay. I'm going to do this again. Yeah. I did it last time. Yeah. So the, even in a part of me who has yeah. heard all of this stuff about intermittent fasting and yeah. autophagy, yeah, yeah. how if you do fast, you can promote this kind of like cell cleanup that happens in your nervous system. Right. Yeah. We sort of talked about this off off the yeah. podcast too, but I think like extreme diets work for extreme people, mm-hmm. right? So I gave you the example when we were talking before about like an extreme ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. That's going to work really well for an ultra marathoner who's running multiple days, mm-hmm. right? That's an extreme because their fuel sources are limited, mm-hmm. right? So they need to have this big vat of sort of energy, which fat's a really good one. They're going to be also at a lower um, intensity of exercise. Mm-hmm. So all of these factors, that's a really good thing for them. Right. The other thing is, and, and I would question um, individuals like yourself who have kids, right, who try these extreme diets. What is that sort of demonstrating to the parent? Absolutely. Or to the yeah. kid, excuse me. Yeah, that. So your child is, I'll say your, your child is always watching and learning. For sure. Right? Always. So uh, <laughs> I just posted a video this weekend on social media. My wife asked my daughter, what do you like to eat? She goes, uh, chips, veggie sticks, and protein. She she likes my protein shakes. We drink them together. Yeah. It's like a thing. Yeah. And if you have some, so much of like eating disorder behavior, body image stuff is internalized interactions and what you observe in your family system, right? So if you if you're seeing that and hearing that, um, that can become a barrier for your kids. For sure. But think about it, right? So if somebody's doing intermittent fasting, right? And let's say the, the the parent is doing intermittent fasting and the kid sees that the parent isn't eating at dinner time, mm-hmm. right? Let's say they're doing some other type of fast, right? Um, or maybe they go out for ice cream and they never get ice cream. Or they go out for X thing after right. a, a game. Right. And they say, I can't eat because... And then they ask, why aren't you eating? Aren't you hungry? Like, then what's the parent's response? I can, that I is, can give you a really good one and a really bad one. Okay, right? well, you know, you're both. <laughs> you know, uh, 
not I'm just not hungry right now. Okay. Or or for you know for some people it just this stuff doesn't agree with my belly. Right. Right. But you can have that. You know the 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 not helpful response is, this is this food this is bad food. Right. Right. And so. Especially if there's no closure around that conversation, a child assumes that um, I'm eating bad food. This is what bad people do. Right. People are unhealthy. Right. Right. Which is not accurate. You can be very healthy and have ice cream sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I agree. Yep. Yeah. So I think overall, though, I think like the takeaway point for from like today is people have to not only emphasize training but emphasize recovery if mm-hmm. you're training hard enough. Right, that's a big thing, and don't go to these extreme diets to to get this desired outcome that you're looking for. Because right. remember, we talked outcomes last yeah. time, and the whole concept of so many people go to um, some dietary camp as an ideology uh, with the idea that this is going to heal me, this is going to have me lose weight, and the problem with a lot of them are is that they are ideologies. You know, they're especially the way social media works now is it ends up being like a like a an echo chamber for ideas that that you find fit whatever your ideas are for right now versus applying nuance. And and I think the toughest thing for practitioners is when you hear somebody say like they come at you at as like an ideology, right? Mm-hmm. When they they truly believe in this thing, and you're not going to change it, right? Um, one of my professors from undergrad um, or graduate school, what he told me was, Chris, you can never change people's beliefs, so don't even try. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, beliefs in the sense of, like, with dietary, like, like what yes, they believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, they yeah. believe that this is going to cure them. Yeah. If that they believe is, it, that's going to be very difficult for a dietary. No, that's interesting, you know. Um, I would, yeah. I would, I would agree that that's very, very hard. Yeah. And why well, I, w- I should also say, you can't typically change beliefs unless a person finds them problematic. First, the first step in changing a belief is that a person has to see it as a problem. If right. a person thinks that it's going to heal them, you're you're going to be bashing your head against a wall. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Chris. We do have to wrap up for today, but oh, super fun! Looking forward to next time. <laughs>